gathering back together. Going to take our, collect our offering, receive our offering. That's the correct theological term. Receive our offering here in a minute. Uh, before we do that, I'll get you a chance to get out your checkbooks and everything else. I've been told you need a few minutes to do that. A couple things I want to talk about in terms of uh, some mission opportunities. Uh, I want to thank uh, Tom and Annette Hosman as they uh, helped uh, facilitate uh, 600 Bibles, New Testaments, that we had here uh, at New Life. Uh, before we started New Life, we had about 1,000 New Testaments. We used 400 of them for ministry of New Life, and we've had 600 sitting in my office for the last couple of years. And uh, Tom's sister, Joanne, right, is your sister? Joanne uh, has been doing uh, work with uh, some mission groups in Africa and Haiti and apparently some other places. And so um, via Kansas City, uh, we, are, we have gotten 600 uh, Bibles out to hopefully people that can uh, use them and will have read for the first time. So I just ask this week that you uh, be in prayer. Uh, those Bibles have safely arrived in Kansas City, but now they are going off into other places in the world. So uh, say a prayer for uh, all of those uh, Bibles and, and obviously the people who will receive them and maybe have be reading the uh, gospel story for the first time. Also, uh, we, can, we can receive the offering now, guys. Um, also, <laughs> we just had a meeting uh, this week, this Monday, about our paper angel closet. We've been so excited about this ministry that we've been starting slow, um, trying to get paper products and toiletries to people in need. Uh, we recognize that is the biggest need in Winnebago County, uh, the biggest gap in terms of ministry. There was nowhere, no place that was giving paper products and toiletries to families in need. Well, um, that was so exciting to someone who got the Sherland newsletter, uh, kind of a, a providential statement or a providential circumstance. Uh, where someone from a church that is now closed receives the Sherland newsletter um, because he served at that church as the trustee and now the mail is forwarded to him. Uh, and he was so excited about that, he came and spoke to us on Monday and he works for the Regional Department of Education and specifically the at-risk student um, program, which basically meets the needs of two to 3,000 homeless and at-risk and truant children, students in Winnebago and Boone County. They have, obviously, thousands of children. Um, that, that should be mind-blowing to you, first of all, that we have two to 3,000 at-risk students in, in our county and Boone County. But they have ways to get them clothes and food and shelter and shoes. Uh, and guess what they don't have? Paper products and toiletries. And I don't know if you remember being the student, especially in high school, um, there are certain products that we carry in our paper angel closet that you would most definitely want to have as a young person, um, especially going to school in this day and age. So we decided as a congregation, as a program team, um, to add that to the paper angel closet, which means we are going from helping a handful of families every month to most likely helping 10 or more families every week. Uh, that means we will need more and more support. That is a little scary, but also exceptionally exciting because this allows us to not only partner with um, our local, uh, you know, our, our congregation, but also with other churches 
um, partner with our community as we go out to our neighborhood and find fish this, uh, this year. We have wonderful opportunities to say, hey, this is the ministry we're involved in. Can you help? Can you partner with us? You know, can you uh, drop stuff off um, when, whenever we're doing a drive or anything like that? So that's very exciting. Um, and that's very, uh, very cool that God is pushing us and challenging us to grow this ministry because uh, we, we really felt that God could do this, use this for great things. And it looks like God is going to be doing great things. So. Uh, be in prayer for that ministry. Obviously support it. Go buy paper products. Tell your friends and family about it. Get them to support it. Um, there's already people contacting me from other congregations saying, hey, I want to help. I'll come do inventory. I'll come put stuff together. Um, this is a wonderful way to engage people is what I'm getting at. This is a wonderful way to say, hey, listen, we are making a difference in our community, in the lives of families and adults and children, young people here in Winnebago and Boone County. I mean, we just sent 600 Bibles overseas. So we're obviously making an impact somewhere else too. Uh, we've donated money to end malaria and done things like that too, but we're also making a huge impact and we're the only people doing that. Um, so we, we can really be proud of that and uh, be excited about that. That means we need to do a lot of work too. So uh, continue to be in prayer over that. Uh, and continue to be excited about that. That's really exciting. Uh, something I'm really excited about. Let's transition now. Oh, one thing before we um, transition. Um, it's wonderful when we end service. Uh, everybody likes to help set, you know, put chairs up and everything. Thank you, everyone who does that. That's a wonderful thing. You can come early and set chairs up too if you'd like. Um, today we're going we're to be playing with something after church in terms of how we set stuff up. Uh, so please, today, next week you can, today do not set chairs up. Do not put them away. Uh, we're going to have uh, some playing with some stuff for the next few weeks, how we uh, do some different things in worship. So just uh, FYI. So let's have a word of prayer and uh, go into our forming time. Oh God, you are our light and salvation. Living in your presence, we have nothing to fear. Open our hearts to your word this day as we hear the story of your word of your call, make us ready to follow Jesus on whatever path he leads us. Cast aside our fears and doubts and teach us to trust wholly in you. For this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, welcome to New Life. I'm Mark Myers, the pastor here, and we want to welcome all those joining us online via podcast or uh, via our website. If you have missed, this is a four-week series. If you've missed any part of the series, you can catch that online, www.findnewlifeumc.org, or on iTunes under New Life UMC, our podcast. Today we conclude our series, Finding Fish. I brought with me um, a D20. I don't know if anybody is familiar with that. Is it's a, a D20 is a 20-sided die, right? Die is the singular of the word dice. Probably don't have to use that in regular, regular ways. So this is a uh, 20-sided die. People online can Google that. It's become kind of a symbol of traditional gaming. Talk about traditional worship, contemporary worship. Well, in the traditional gaming world, and I don't mean gambling. You know, all the casinos say, oh, come game. That's not gaming. That's gambling. Just admit what it is. Not saying you can't do it. It's not gaming. It's gambling. It's okay. Don't worry about it. But gaming... It's not gambling. does not involve money. But this has become the symbol of traditional gaming. 
um, because it kind of is the central uh, key for, for thousands of games, whether they're role-playing games, board games, card games, uh, and it's very unique. It's 20-sided, right? I mean, most dices are six-sided, six other-sided, but 20-sided uh, dice, so very unique thing and kind of a symbol. Now I'm a gamer, and most of you know that. When I was in high school, one day, out of the blue, I don't know what I was doing, I came across, uh, that, that's a picture of it, a 30-sided die. 30-sided die. They go up to 100-sided, but 30-sided die. And it was just in my house. I don't know how it got there or why it was there or anything else, but it was just sitting there. It, it was actually in my bathroom closet, I remember very distinctly, and, and it was just there one day. It wasn't there the day before, and one day it was there. Now, back before Amazon and eBay and all that kind of stuff 20 years ago, right, um, it was very rare to have a 30-sided dice. Now you can go online, you can buy them in, in bulk, I guess, and you don't get a gross of 30-sided dice. But stores didn't carry them. Even gaming stores, we didn't carry the comic book shop that I worked at. We didn't carry 30-sided dice, so that was a very unique, very special thing. And so it kind of stood with me, this 30-sided dice, for over a decade, and kind of was a good luck charm to me. You know, it was kind of with me through some up and down times, and it always sat there as we gamed, and I gamed a lot, especially in college, uh, all through high school too, and uh, it was always with me, and so it became a, a physical symbol of something that I did and kind of part of who I was. Then one day, as interestingly and, and magically as it came into my life, it was gone. So one day it was there, and one day it was gone. And I could have been really sad that I lost my good luck charm, my, my special 30-sided dice. My friends would even tell you stories about it. But I realized, and I thought to myself, and I still think to myself that that was a nice thing to release back into the world because it served me really well for 10 years, and, and I didn't really need it anymore. If I still had it, it would probably be sitting in a box somewhere in my office. And I felt like maybe it, it just went and it was with someone else, maybe another young man or young woman, and it was giving them good luck. So I felt good about releasing that back into the world, right? Have you ever done something like that? All too often we do the opposite. We like to hold on to things. Whether it's people, whether it's possessions, whether it's ministry even, things that we do, we like to hold on to things and not release them because we like control over stuff. We like possession over things. But Jesus was always challenging us to release. Release our gifts, release our graces, re release him. Remember he says to Mary at the tomb, don't hold on to me. I have to return to my Father in heaven. Today we're going to talk about how Jesus released his disciples. We've already talked about how he um, gathered people around him, how he excited them, grounded them, transformed them. But then he released them into the world. So as we end our series on Finding Fish, we're going to look at how Jesus released his disciples and how we need to let ourselves loose to find fish. We're going to read um, John chapter 17, a few verses from John chapter 17. I think 6 through 9 and then 17 and 18. John chapter 17 is a wonderful prayer. It comes in this uh, wonderful group of chapters in John where Jesus is teaching his disciples before his death. And then yeah, John chapter 17 is really this beautiful prayer, so I encourage you this week, um, read, it, it's, read it in its entirety. But uh, here, here's a couple verses I really want to point out tonight. 
Jesus says, I have revealed, as he prays, your name to the people you gave me. They were yours and you gave them to me. And they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. This is because I gave them the words that you gave me and they received them. They truly understood that I came from you and they believe that you have sent me. I am praying for them. Make them holy in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Now Jesus starts by saying, I have revealed your name. He's talking about God the Father. You see, in in Jesus' time, God was unknown. And the name of God was unknown and unspoken by most. In the Hebrew language, originally there were no vowels. All right? Can you imagine reading a book with no vowels? It, it lends itself to some interpretation. If you can just throw in whatever vowels you can. And even to modern day Judaism, when they come upon certain words, they, they don't necessarily know what those words actually are. So they have to figure out where, because there's so many different vowel combinations. But in Exodus, we, we read a story about the burning bush. You're familiar with that? Moses comes across a burning bush, and, and Moses asks for the name of God, right? And what's God say is, is God's name? I am who I am, yeah. And in Hebrew, that is four letters. Y-H-W-H. We call it the Tetragamatron because we... Like fancy words, I guess. Y-H-W-H, that is the name of God. And if you throw vowels in there, it can, it can come a hundred different ways. Uh, what we believe the name to actually be is Yahweh. Yahweh, Y-H-W-H. But in ancient times, Jesus' time, most people didn't read, first of all. And you never ever said that name aloud. Only the high priest on the Day of Atonement in the Holy of Holies faced with the Ark of the Covenant would actually speak the name of God. No one else was permitted to. Even to this day in synagogues, in the Jewish religion, if, you, uh, if they're reading the scroll, if they have scrolls, uh, if they're reading a scroll and the cantor or someone else is reading, the cantor sings, um, if the liturgist is reading, and they come upon YHWH. In our Old Testament, it's whenever you see Lord in all capital letters. YHWH, they really just nod their heads. They never actually speak that name. Because the name of God is unknown and reverent and holy, and God is kind of distant and invisible and apart. But Jesus says, I've revealed your name. Jesus came to earth so that we could know who God was. And we believe God was in Jesus Christ. We became to know who God was and through the things that Jesus did and because of who Jesus was, we became a little bit more familiar with God. So that's part of the good news that Jesus reminds us we need to be sharing. God is not this invisible, distant, kind of setter in motion, uh, intelligent designer kind of thing that we we talk about, but God is real to us. God has a name. We call him Jesus Christ. Now we started this series by talking about the fact that Jesus excited his followers. Now here in his prayer, he affirms that he was sent by God. 
That's pretty exciting. God, creator of the universe, and I just saw a really cool thing about how big the universe is. Again, the universe is pretty big. I don't know if you realize how big the universe is. It's huge. Billions upon billions of stars just in our galaxy and millions of galaxies. Jesus reminds us that he came from God, that Lord of the universe, God Almighty, creator of everything, loved us so much that he sent his only son into this world to live, die, and be born again for us so that we could have new life. And that's good news. That's exciting stuff. So Jesus was exciting constantly. We need to be exciting other people when we share that good news with them. Jesus taught us who God was. He showed us who God was. He was God. He excited us. And then we said Jesus grounded us. Now in his prayer, in John 17, he says that because they received, the disciples received his word and followed his teaching, that they, uh, that, 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 that they were good, they were, they were setting out to do his ministry. That because they were founded in word and teachings, they had a place in the kingdom. So, Jesus' teaching, his commandments, aren't necessarily like a checklist of things we need to do to be saved. They are truly tools to keep us grounded. They are tools to keep us grounded. A lot of Christians act like the religious folks in Jesus' time that focus more on the rules and the moral code and the ethics than what Jesus was really talking about. When we focus on the rules and we forget about the people, Jesus had a problem with that. And so Jesus' commandments keep us grounded. Love God, love others. Jesus taught us to see people first. Let the commandments focus on how to empower people to become children of God. So we are grounded in his teaching. We are excited. We are grounded. Last week we said that Jesus transformed his disciples. Now in his prayer, Jesus says that God sent the disciples to him. It's interesting. The disciples had a destiny. They were destined to become disciples. Does that mean they were predestined to become disciples? Now we're getting into theology, right? Does that mean that they didn't have a choice, that God said, you will be a disciple, and no matter what they did, they were going to be disciples? No. They had a choice. They could have said no. But each of them said yes. Now think about it like this. God, as a father, every father, every parent has a dream, has a hope for what their children will become, what their children will be capable of, what their children will, will do. And I think God, too, has a, a destiny for us, a dream for us. We can't make our children do those things. I don't know if you know that, if you've learned that yet, probably some of you more than others. But we can always hope and pray and dream that they will be the people they're meant to be. And I think God prays and hopes and dreams that we will become the people we're supposed to be. God knew the potential in those 12 men that Jesus called. And they began a transforming ministry. And they began to be transformed into the destiny and people of destiny that God had in store for them. Finally, Jesus released his disciples. That's the best thing. We, we said he excited them and grounded them and transformed them. But then he released them. He sent them in the world. He said, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. 
right? Now here's the thing about that. It's hard to release ourselves and others into the world. It's hard to let our children grow up and have independence. It's, it's hard to release your ministry into the hands of someone else. Now Jesus had faith in God and his disciples. That's so important. If you're going to let God release you into the world and share good news with others, you have to have faith in God and you have to have faith in others. Because why would you go tell someone about the good news if you didn't have any faith in them? And those are two very hard things to do. You have to have faith and trust God and faith and trust other people. There's a reason God or Jesus is always saying, love others, love God, because we have to be trusting and have faith in God and one another. Jesus, this is amazing. Think about it for a second. Jesus had faith and trust in the 11 disciples who remained after Judas' death. He had faith and trust that those 11 men would spread the gospel across the world, and they did. Full well knowing all of their baggage, knowing that Peter would deny him, that Thomas would doubt him, that all of them would run away except for John and abandon him. He still had faith. And he still trusted because he knew what they were capable of. He knew what they could become. If Jesus could have faith in us and those 11 guys who weren't perfect, we need to have faith and trust in other people. That God is going to use them for something great. That God has a destiny for them too. And we have to trust that God is using us in that same way. So that's how Jesus did it. He got them excited. He grounded them, transformed them, and he set them free. It's pretty simple. But how can we do it? How, how, you know, what, what are some other, chi- uh, other uh, tips that we can use? We've been talking about that all, all these last four weeks. What are some other things we can do? Uh, and, and Jesus taught them a lot of different things that they can do, and so I want to just talk about a couple more tonight. I got a test. I don't... Do you like tests? Anybody? Good. Well, I got one. Yeah, it's pass or fail. It's no grades. This is a test given to, uh, was given to many, many professional people, intelligent people, on uh, kind of interview, pro- during an interview process. So I, I, I just want to give you a second um, to see if, how, how well you'll do on this. So here, here's the first question. I'm going to sit, um, tie my shoe while, while I ask this. How do you put a giraffe into a refrigerator? First question. Think about that for a second. You don't have to say it out loud. We don't have to talk about it. But how do you put a giraffe? How do you put a giraffe into a refrigerator? Just come up with that in your mind. Second, folks at home, don't Google it. How do you put a giraffe into a refrigerator? Okay, that's the first question. Now, second question. How do you put an elephant into a refrigerator? Okay, formulating formulating, right? Formulating, thinking about it. Third question. The Lion King, I don't know, Simba, or just a generic Lion King. Um, Simba, no. Uh, He's hosting uh, an animal conference. All the animals intend except one which doesn't intend. Which animal 
is not present at the event. Think about that. Okay, how do you get a giraffe in the refrigerator? How do you put an elephant in the refrigerator? Lion King hosting the animal conference. There's one that's not there. Who is it? Finally, last question. You have to cross a river, but it's infested with crocodiles. How do you cross it? Okay, are you getting answers, internal answers? How are you going to cross it? How are you going to cross it? Yeah, well, I'm going to tell you here in a second. So, you, you know, the, this, is, this was like an oral test, so, you know, you, they, people didn't get a lot of time to do this. But he, here are the answers. How do you put a draft in the, the fridge? Well, you open the door, you put the draft inside. Okay? How do you put an elephant in the fridge? You take the draft out of the fridge, you put the elephant into the fridge. Lion King's having a conference for all the animals in the world. Which one's not there? The elephant, because he's in the fridge. Obviously. There's a swamp infested with crocodiles. You need to cross it. How do you cross it? You swim across it. Crocodiles are at the animal conference. Right? Come on, people. 90% of professionals failed all of the questions. 90% failed all of the questions. Oddly enough, many preschoolers got one or more correct. We like to complicate things. We like to make them how many people were, how do you fold a giraffe? And, right? Which animals do lions eat? Which ones don't they eat? I know, do I have a rope to cross the river? We like to complicate things. We like to make things more complicated than they are. We need to keep things simple. Don't complicate your interactions. Don't take things on that you aren't comfortable with. Invite people. Share some good news. Set a good example. Keep it simple. That's the first one. Second, you need to use your genius. You ever been to the Apple store? They call the... uh, the people who work there, geniuses, Apple geniuses. I always like that. And, and generally, they're pretty good. Always have good, ex- uh, good experiences with the people. They know how to use their products, right? Call them geniuses at what they do. Everyone here is good at something. You may not think you are. Everyone here is good at something. You're probably good at more things than you are aware of. Peter and Andrew, the disciples, weren't actually very good at fishing. Because the examples we have of them in the Bible fishing, they didn't catch any fish. But they were great at catching people. They were great at fishing for people. We consider Peter the foundation of the church. Believe me, he was great at fishing for people. Jesus knew that. He knew that this poor fisherman and his brother weren't good at fishing, but were going to be great at disciple-making, great at finding What are you great at? How can you use that in your finding? How can you use that in going out to share good news? Be creative. Tap into that, uh, those gifts and graces that Jesus has given you, that the Holy Spirit gives you to do your ministry. In the Gospel of Mark, Jesus sends out a group, large group, of disciples to share good news. And he does something interesting. 
he sends them on their way with nothing. Nothing. Shoes on their feet. Coat on their back. Go make disciples. We need to enter our finding unencumbered. Sometimes, perhaps many times, we go into conversations, we go into opportunities, we enter into ministry, we just walk around in life with a lot of baggage, right? We bring a lot of preconceived notions when we knock on a door, when we meet someone for the first time, we bring all of our stuff up every time we have an interaction when someone says something that, you know, kind of hits a nerve or reminds us that something happened in our life. We have a lot of baggage. Some of our baggage is physical. Sometimes we go and we, uh, we heap things on people, you know, we bring a Bible and tracts and all that kind of stuff and we just heap stuff on them. But a lot of our baggage is emotional, spiritual, metaphorical baggage, in, in other words. We have to unpack our bags before we go out to find. We have to unpack our bags before we knock on a door or start a conversation hard work, but we have to go unencumbered. We have to be able to have nothing on our back if we're going to truly be people of joy, peace, people who are looking for relationships, looking to bring other people to Jesus Christ. So put down your baggage before you knock on the door, before you start a conversation with a friend, before you open your heart to someone. Finally, Jesus equipped people to face their fears to face the very thing they didn't want to. All throughout Scripture we see Jesus putting the disciples in situations they did not want to be in. Whether it was out in the sea in the stormy night, whether it was doing things that the priests or the scribes didn't like, whether it was watching him die on a cross, there were plenty of things that Jesus did that made them uncomfortable. For many of us, finding fish, going out and sharing the good news is a scary thing. It's scary because we like to be liked, right? We like to be liked. We don't like to make waves. We, we enjoy the status quo. But there are people in each one of our lives, and I want you to hear this, there are people in each one of our lives. There are people in our neighborhood, in our community, whom we are the only ones who have the potential to share good news with. We are the only people in those people's lives who are going to be able to share some good news with them. We are the people God has put in their path. We have to own that. We have to let the fear go. Whatever our fear is, rejection, humiliation, talking to other human beings, right? Some of us have that fear. Being vulnerable, talking to a stranger, talking to our family. We need to be able to face it. But here's the good news. We don't do that alone. Christ is with us in every encounter. The Holy Spirit guides and equips us. Our Father in Heaven is proud of who we are and what we are doing. It's okay to be afraid, but it's not okay to let that fear control our actions and prevent us from doing God's work. So this year is a fishing expedition, right? We're focusing on going out into the neighborhood on going out into our world inviting people here sharing the story so we all need all of us need to go out as a community and devote time every week to finding 
We need to engage our family, our friends, the faces in the crowd, the forgotten, the forsaken. Wherever they may be, we need to invest in inviting. Most of all, we need to get out of our boat, start finding fish. transition now to our forwarding time. As we do, let us uh, join into a time of prayer. Remembering those who aren't here tonight. Remembering the people we've just talked about. Our family, our friends, the faces in the crowd. Those who we've forgotten. Those who are forsaken. The people who need God's love. Let us pray. Lord, you have come to the lake shore once again, looking neither for wealthy nor wise ones. You only ask each of us to humbly follow. Everyday hardworking people going about their daily tasks are confronted with you. You, Jesus the Christ, who long ago called those first disciples, calls to us today. Our lake shores may be different. They are the places where we work and where we live. Yet Jesus is coming for each one of us. Just as we are inviting us and following him. We have lifted up the names and we lift up people and places that just need your love. And we just ask that you be with them. That you guide us as we pray over those names this week. We have names on our hearts and situations in our lives that we haven't spoken, but also need your grace and mercy. Lord, we know you hear our cries and you respond in love. One of the most faithful works of the church is this work of prayer. So we ask for your healing mercy and your blessing. As we offer our prayer this evening, let us also offer our lives trusting in God's love and call to each of us, responding in confidence. For it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.